0: Snap production. Market. The S&P. The Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the very special Sunday mailbag edition. They are always very special, even more so because he is here. Here, of course, is Andrew Page, the founder and managing director of straw- I mean strawman.com. How are you, buddy? <laughs> very good, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm very, very well. I know what it is. It's a private online investment crypto exchange. Jane, oh right. you got so close you
0: oh. got so close you know if I was if I was smarter and less ethical that's that's exactly what I should have done <laughs> yeah exactly
1: because I'd
0: be in the Bahamas right now uh, well yeah, you'd probably top floor apartment. with their
1: inquiries if you're in the Bahamas right now what a ride what a ride, what a ride. Oh, yeah I suppose and uh, yeah yeah um how are you buddy i'm pretty trying good to, we're gonna move on from that yeah <laughs> could, could yeah you? well look i'm 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 not in jail so that's that's good well that's what i'm that's what i was kind of going towards is like <laughs> I, I we say regularly right i i, I don't know I, I, maybe maybe they got allegedly allegedly maybe they got themselves in so deep there was no way to get out of being a multi billionaire now without either going to jail or continuing the allegedly allegedly scheme yeah. um but at some point I, I i am constantly fascinated by people's inability to kind of go that's enough yeah either either I've got away with it mm. I'm going to cut and run or I've got enough I don't have to take stupid risks and maybe run the risk of going to jail i have the whole thing collapse I, I don't I will never understand I, I'm not an entrepreneur either mate I never would have started straw man you've, you've done exceptionally well there but there's extra level like there's me and then there's you and then there's people who will bet the farm uh, you know either legally or illegally to try and get the extra nth degree of returns and I just I just will never ever get it you know what I think I hear what you're
0: saying but I, I don't think it start. it ever starts out like that it, it, it's yeah. it's a series of baby steps to toward disaster where it's like they probably look I don't know I don't know oh, as I said on uh, on Friday we'll wait for the Michael Lewis movie to come out but the I suspect I suspect what's happened is that hey let's look he started some hedge fund you know and then found that oh actually things aren't we need we need to fix this sort of problem here. And then sort of this little band-aid solution, a little bit in a gray zone, but that's okay. We're just gonna get ourselves out of trouble and um, then we'll go back to doing this. And yeah. then things just slowly slip away. And it's just I think you find yourself, you know, ten miles past a, a very hard red line. Not because you jumped there or you have a plan to be there, but because it was just a series of of incremental steps and you find yourself in this massive hole and the only thing you know what to do is just to keep digging and you know benefit of the doubt um I, I suspect that's that's what's happened having said all of that i hope he goes to jail and rots there for a, for a long time um, sam Bankman-Fried, i'm sam bankman freedom talking about here. assuming he, he's
1: assuming he's committed a crime it's allegedly. It's, pre- it's pretty it's allegedly. pretty allegedly. obvious it's
0: pretty allegedly. At this stage allegedly allegedly allegedly, <laughs> allegedly.
1: <laughs> if he is guilty of something I agree with you.
0: Well the thing is the thing is is that it's 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 not if it was a victimless crime, it'd be far yeah. more humorous. But the the amount of people who have been scammed and lost their money. And it's easy to say Allegedly. people should have known better and yada yada yeah, yada. Correct. But it's just correct. I mean, people's yep. people use some absolutely tragic tales of woe out there, and you just your heart goes out to these these people. And yes, they were suckered in by FOMO, and yes, they yep. didn't do any due diligence, and yes, and yes, and yes, but but at the end of the day. Yep. They, they were scammed and it's, it's, it's a tragedy and, and I hope whoever good. is responsible yep. whoever it be SBF or someone else that they are they are hauled over the coals for that
1: it's pretty good victim blaming isn't it say to someone well you deserve it you, you, you know you should have known blah 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 I think there's you know there's one thing when you do something legitimate and and lose money there's another thing when you get allegedly scammed lose money it's like that's not you know that's that's straight out someone else's crime yeah. uh, victim blaming they should have known better it's like yeah, maybe again, maybe they should have done things differently but uh, you know, if you get if you get done by a criminal, you're entitled to feel a bit uh, a bit hard done by.
0: I also think it's true too. I mean, you don't you know if you want to understand someone, walk a mile in their shoes. I think you're yeah. more prone to take extreme risks when when life is more desperate. You know, yes, so it, it's it's you know it's just yep. yeah. I I really reiterate that point because I I feel as though there's a huge amount of schadenfreude mm-hmm. out there, particularly on Twitter, which is an incredibly toxic place. But <laughs> you know, it, it it's uh, this also this is awesome the, by the, the way. Can I say? what's that also
1: awesome yeah it can be yeah absolutely. I, I would speak for your followers i have a decent number of followers for god knows what reason but thank you for those who do follow me i'll give you the twitter handles in a second um i reckon i've got the best quality followers on the internet like and i'm not i'm not actually being I'm not, that's not one of those kind of you know complimenting myself you know backhandedly or or, or trying to you know rev up my, my followers i j- i have had so few bits of grief from i've got six and a half odd thousand followers which is not much in the overall scheme of things but I, I, I very, very well Now, I'm not female and I'm not a person of color, so I don't get, I don't have to deal with that kind of crap um, from people who just, you know, don't, can't help themselves, but to, you know, shout just toilet rubbish at people like that. But, um, but I, I'm, I, you know, I think if you cultivate, if you're lucky to be white and male and middle class, but if you cultivate a, a decent conversation on Twitter, I think it, it can be a good place. But as you say, it's also a sewer at different times.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think you, you, you have to put in a bit of work. To, not only not only sort of, you, you probably get the followers you deserve to a to a, a large extent, um, but also like the, the people that you choose to follow. I'm, I'm very quick these days to sort of block and unfollow. You know, you so, sometimes you think, oh, they, they that's an interesting tweet. They, they sound like an interesting person, <laughs> and then you follow them, and then
1: you start getting all this weird stuff in your feed. And life's too short. Yep. You, you b- yep. Block block hammer that. And move on. <laughs> Man, let's get to the questions. Uh, this one's a bit more of a statement than a question, but and it was not, not even necessarily pitched as part of the podcast, but it was sent to me on um, on Twitter. I just I just thought it was interesting just to get your initial comments on it. Then we'll keep moving. Um, NRL Guru on Twitter He says Scott, a great article in today's ABC showing the value of shopping around for interest, and he asks a, a rhetorical question or makes a rhetorical statement: How many people are accepting Combacks one point three five percent? This is in, this is savings by the way, accepting Commonwealth Bank's 1.35% versus ANZ three point five, NABs three and a half, Westpac three and a half, McBank, I assume it's Macquarie for three point four five, and Suncorp four percent term deposit. Is ComBank really that sticky that people will accept two percent less? And yes, mostly statement. Uh, not a lot of not a lot of question in that. But it just again, we finished Friday talking about behavioral biases and, and you talk about the stickiness of, of you know, disruptive businesses. If you want to see the value of stickiness when it comes to customers and you say 10 times better, people should want to do almost anything. If you've got any, any decent amount of money, you should have wanted to almost anything to get a better rate, particularly two percentage points better, or, two, or 200 basis points, to use the boffin's term, but two percentage, two percent better. You should do almost anything, right? If you're anything more than about a thousand bucks, you're like, this is money for jam. Like, yeah. Of course it's worth my time. Why would I not? Yep. And yet, I, I think his question is almost rhetorical. Is Combank that sticky? Is he Combank really that sticky, he says. Yes. The people who accept two percent less? The answer is yeah, exactly. Yep. That's yep. that's almost the point, isn't it? Do you remember
0: when they were pushing for uh, portable bank numbers? and the yes. industry yes. and its lobbyists were oh my gosh the sky will fall in if we do this is it that we can't do it no, of course you can it's the easiest thing in the world to implement but you know they they know that a huge moat part of their moat is is the friction and and 100%. and let's face it it not that it's hard but it's a pain in the backside i've got to yes. fill out these forms and get all you know I just, yeah. I just everyone's got too much going on in their lives and Again, it doesn't rational. I sort of s- say that and catch myself at the same time because you still think, yeah for a thousand dollars maybe it's worth spending that 15 minutes <laughs> but but uh, yeah like we look our, our kids will look back at this time as we're absolute cavemen like w- yep. why 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 would yep. why wouldn't you have portable numbers or why couldn't i be able to just register an account online with a few clicks and some you know it it's mm. it's all madness uh, and and it's you know okay i'm gonna be careful where i'm going here but
1: you know less i feel, yeah, I, feel
0: I feel as yeah. though i feel as though banking is ripe for disruption <laughs> you have
1: said that once before Yeah. Uh, um, I uh, see. I want to make more comments, but if I do, I'm going to drag it back down the. It's bit hard. Moment. It's I'm, every, I'm everything hard, hard leads hard there, my friend. Everything does, leads there, especially <laughs> when you talk to Andrew Page. Uh, anyway, no, uh, it. Uh, you know, I. So all I will say is portable bank numbers. I I am torn on this one, right? So let's just let's really? just this through for a second. Well, for, for just because at some point. If we think... If we value the... Uh, let's, let's assume Bitcoin doesn't exist. Just to help, help me. I, did, I didn't just mention that, purpose. by the way, but I'm glad I you I know. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you alluded to it. Let's yeah. pretend it doesn't exist, right? Let's, let's pretend we are pre-Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend there's portable bank numbers. I I, I think it... I, I'm kind of work, trying to work out what, what, what businesses should be allowed to do, what protections they should be allowed to have, and how much of that we should take away as a society... Um, Given these are legitimate, whatever businesses that in theory have a role and a function, and we actually like the idea of competition. I mean, if you follow this through to its, to its nth degree, um, the, when bank numbers are truly portable, then banks become all white-labeled providers of the lowest cost online banking services with zero differentiation. And that lends itself in theory to a winner-takes-all outcome. Because all you are competing on its price, and eventually someone's biggest, so let's say it's ComBank, just for the fun of it, they are biggest, and how does ANZ compete with ComBank? Well, they can't, so okay, eventually they go broke, and someone else goes broke, and someone else goes broke, and you are left with one or two banks, and they're undifferentiated, and the net, the net event or net result of that is supermarket duopoly, or an airline duopoly, or a whatever, we've already got an oligopoly of sorts anyway, but I just, I'm just trying to think through, you know, like I, I think we should make it easier for people to change accounts on one level. But I'm also not sure how much. I, I'm not a. I, I'm, I'm massively middle of the road, mate. I'm not an interventionist, but nor am I a free mm. marketeer. I'm somewhere in between, and I'm just. I'm just trying to think through the the logic of that. Of like, how do you? How far do you do that before it becomes a quasi public utility? You know, but but worse mm. because it's privately owned and potentially can charge a monopoly rents at some point. whenever all the other banks are gone, the remaining bank says, ha, "Excellent. Now watch this." You know, um. and I, I just I just don't I don't know how much we should um, intervene or or work to remove those sorts of things that are not taking advantage of people other than their own friction. There's nothing, they're not doing anything untoward, right? They're not not making it harder for me to do it. It's just not as easy as it could otherwise be. And I, I, I'm trying to work out, I don't have a view. I really don't have a strong view, mm. but I, I don't have a view about how much we should make commercial businesses do to make it that much easier. You know, sh- should my shopping list on Woolworths be exportable to Coles? And then, you know, if that happens every time and I just buy whatever I want from everyone, you know, and, and government make it, make them do that. And then at some point, you know, that there's only one supermarket left or I don't know, I just don't know what the what the role should be of governments how far they should push into that sort of thing. I think the
0: that's all reasonable if but what's implicit in your your statement there is the assumption mm-hmm. that it trends to one. Um I don't know if that's I, think it's the, got to, doesn't I it? don't think that's necessarily the case. So Really? Yeah, I mean, you think about the barriers to entry to opening up a bank. I mean, the biggest one is actually the licensing requirement. So, government yeah. can wave a wand and make that much easier. Now, there needs yep. to be proper due process and diligence to ensure that the yep. right people are, are, have, have got the privilege of, of, mm. of doing that. But, I mean, the red tape is ridiculous. You, you know, you, sure. you, you guys have... You know, we've been through the Australian Financial Services licences process before. It's, it's a nightmare. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's good. Yep. good. good. Yep. Is it great that we have regulation? Yes. Should there, yeah. this be regulated? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it fit for purpose? Uh, no. And is it overly cumbersome and bureaucratic? Yes, it is. And I think, I think that's, that's the first thing to sort of say. Um, the, the other thing is, is actually if you go back far enough, banking used to be a, a pretty boring business. You, know, you, yeah. you, would, you would take in people with excess money and their savings and you would lend no. it out to those that want to borrow. That, that was basically the model. And, uh, and actually in those days you actually had not – the opposite of a monopoly had a huge diverse banking uh, uh, sector – and, and, and that, was, that is always good um, if you're a capitalist because it means lots of competition, which means a lot Absolutely. of fighting for services and the rest of it. So in the yep. modern digital era, where I'd say it's not too difficult for me to get a license... And I can spin up uh, the appropriate front end website. I'm a neobank. I don't. what do I need a branch for? For goodness sakes, how 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 ridiculous is a branch Which you, when you think about it? <laughs> maybe that they, maybe they've got a place for another decade or so, but they're on borrowed time.
1: I agree, 100.
0: Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, and then it just it, it just it seems to me as though what will actually happen is that they will they will still they. they like a like a miner, right? They still have to be viable at the minimum. There'll be a marginal profit on on the cost of offering that service, but the That's real point,
1: mate. It the it real winner.
0: Gone. Oh, I was just going to say, the real winner is the consumer. In the same in the same way as that, a lot of these disrupting technologies take away the margin of of the incumbents, and you know all these new disruptors spring up. They all operate at a lower level of profitability, but the
1: consumer wins massively because all, all ultimately the savings sort of go to us. I think that's right in the, in the in the immediate term, mate. But I guess my my point is over time. It, 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 what, you know, once you're if you're left only fighting on what it will effectively be cost. If you take away the bank's ability to utilise. Whatever, whatever, whatever constitutes for brand or customer experience, right? And that includes the the friction and stickiness. When you choose ComBank, you do it because they're ComBank and they have been Australia's bank, and we know them and love them, so we use them. And and yes, I'm getting less interest, but yeah, I'm they've on never that being, been fined
0: or you know through various royal commissions been found to do anything bad or launder money or no, they've they're, they're exemplary
1: corporate citizens. But but please continue, Um But but I, but it, but at what point like, when, when there is no more differentiation left? Why does that competition persist? The neobank's bank's not got a chance. If, if, if banking gets to the point where we strip away everything but a a you know a, a white labelled uh, pay deposit, um, you know, FPOS access transaction account, then there is. No, I would I would argue it has to end up at a, at a at a you know one or two players only in the market because it comes down to them to, to scale, right? Scale, scale, and lowest cost becomes the issue. So it's we talking about delivery on Friday it comes down to okay well, who's going to get big fastest to be able to do that more quickly okay well someone wins that race why are there 6 7 10 banks and how does the 25th neo bank enter a market where they finally gets combank with at that point 55% market share what what do i have to offer as the neo bank when yeah. i can't possibly hope to to manage or, or respond or or you know compete at all like why would you go to Scott bank because I can't offer the same technology or scope or scale or cost or anything else, what do I offer that combat can't do in an, in, an, in an environment where we actually incentivize them to say, screw everything else, it's just about cost and scale wins?
0: We are so far beyond the question, but I'll yes, just we we'll say this and we should probably move on. But, but <laughs> if, 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 if I, I know what this sounds like, but to really blow your mind is why not just disintermediate the entire thing? I mean, why have a bank at all? Why can't I be my own bank? <laughs> Why can't I choose? Why can't I? Why why can't I go in the same way that I can start selling stuff through Amazon or eBay? I mean, why why can't I take my savings self custody it? Why can't I choose to lend it out on an open um, marketplace? I mean, that's that already happens, and it's 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 more of a paradigm shift mentally and socially than than technologically. So I don't know. The future's future's likely to be wild, but.
1: Uh, Ah dear, yeah. dear, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> let's move on. Um, let, actually let's, let's stay philosophically mate because I got an email a tweet actually from John um, who says I have got into a question for you not specifically for the Marbag but you can include it in that domain if you like and so we did I love listening to your podcast and reading all you put out there I'm strong in my conviction to grow my wealth over a long period of time but I am also keen on conservation of natural places sustainability and renewable energy Listening to you and Pagie, it seems you have similar views. But how do you deal with the conflict between the two? To build wealth, we need consumerism of more products, in brackets, EVs, electronics, etc. Close bracket. But how much do we actually need more stuff? We can recycle, but it's better not to manufacture in the first place. The lithium-ion battery boom for EV and energy storage requires mining vast quantities of minerals and rare earths in often protected areas. Save the forests, but wait, there's valuable stuff there. I like to see myself as an optimist like you, but it seems every action we make to grow wealth over long periods of time hurts another part of the natural environment. At what point is this continual growth going to starve us of the oxygen we need to breathe? Again, more of a discussion point than a question. And sorry to bring the mood down, but I was interested in an economist's thoughts. I wouldn't say I'm an economist, by the way, but uh, we, we do, we are investors. He then finishes with a quote. Quote, only when the last tree has been cut down, the last fish has been caught and the last stream poisoned, Will we realise we cannot eat money? Close quote. Who was that, John? Oh, sorry, the quote. No, the oh, quote. Sure, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a very it's a heard it before. yeah, it's around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably one. I think it's probably been so overused. I don't know. It's um, I know it's it for It's I'll just quickly Google it while we're chatting. I thought John's quote was a was a very good. Well, John's question was a very good question because mm. it does absolutely talk to the challenges of growth in a finite world do you have any thoughts man have you have you yeah thought i about do this? you struggle with i, this? Do. Do I struggle i about
0: thought this? about it and i struggle i think there's so many things we take for granted like money mm. <laughs> and, and you just once you start picking at it man it's it just leads you and it's not an easy answer so i think i think that part of the problem is what we define as growth and measurement so we use GDP. Which just basically adds up all the things that have been sold in in a, in a particular period, yeah. um, and so if we want to grow, quote unquote, the economy, we need to sell more stuff, which means we need to build and well, we need to consume more stuff. Um, so the, you, I would I would probably argue when you when you sort of get down to it, there's there's probably some inherent weaknesses and flaws, and I would say even the most traditional, mm-hmm. steadfast. of, you know, old school economists would, would recognize and have discussed and it's sort of like a known thing. So it's, 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 it's a limited um, measure. It's got its value, but, but that's, that's part of the problem. The other problem is, is value that, that is sort of created, but not measured. So the dad that stays at home, um, and looks after the kids, he doesn't get paid for that. Um, I'm, i You know, I I should have said mum because statistically that's more likely. (laughs) But I'm trying to I'm trying not to sort of pigeonhole sort of gender roles here. But but I I really should say mum just because to call out the incredible value that that is done, just the way that it has been up till now, and hopefully that's changing. But but you know that's not valued. Um, The the person who stays home and looks after an elderly ailing parent that's is that value. Well, if they're not doing it, it goes into the, the public system and there's a cost on that, and then it starts getting measured. So it's a it's actually very it's very complicated. Um, you and I each week get together and over Zoom and talk rubbish into a microphone and for whatever <laughs> reason people download and listen to that but there's no there's no well, to GDP.
1: Not exactly, <laughs> do you know so that's yeah, that's yep.
0: weird too and and i would i would actually say that a lot of the problem is one is how we measure it two is what economists would call externalities where things that don't get measured so i can measure the value of having the convenience of a plastic bag but what's not measured is the uh, carbon emission and pollution yeah. and landfill and et cetera, et cetera, that, that comes from it. It's just not it's just not it's not captured within the system in which we we operate. So it's called an externality. And maybe if that was properly accounted for and we had some all-knowing, all-seeing AI that could that could sort of incorporate all that the economics would, would change a little bit. So it's actually mm-hmm. it's actually a diabolically difficult situation. Mm-hmm. But I my optimistic take on it is that I actually feel as though. Largely through technology, but also uh, the way that we perhaps organise ourselves, is I, I feel as though we're either going to go extinct or go back to Mad Max days, or we, <laughs> we will we will find better ways of of operating as a society at scale where there's more abundant clean energy, which which enables us to do a huge amount of stuff, where we have a lot of value being created, which isn't in the traditional. Realm. I mean, the, the mm. digital, the digital realm is just so fascinating. The amount of the amount of value that can be created there, which is really just electricity as an input cost. But you know, once you've got sort of the hardware sort of side of things set up, I mean, it's right. very deep and it gets very philosophical and it gets very airy fairy. And you know, I can see, I, I can feel people's eyes rolling in their heads as I speak. Yep. But if you just draw out various trends that we're experiencing and have been for decades, I feel it's sort of kind of it, it, there's a bifurcation of that. There's either that there's, I think it's been termed the Great Acceleration. So whether whether you want to look at lifespan, health, wealth, anything, like you just like there's this J curve, and so quite rationally and logically, you either continue to godlike status over <laughs> choose your time frame, or we collapse and it's you know, Fury Road kind of lifestyle. So it sort of it sort of has to be one of those two. I'd like to think that we we go towards a life and world of abundance and prosperity um and to do that we need to overcome these massive massive challenges that john john outlines and i wish i wish i had an easy answer for it but i, I yeah I, I
1: i wrestle with it too i think a lot of people do there's a so what there mate. i think um that maybe i'm going to try and push a little bit further on before i give my thoughts which is do we just blindly say screw it, i'll make some money while i can uh is there a sense at which the capitalism experiment breaks down and, and investing doesn't work i mean to, to john's you know to take john's conclusion um to its nth degree uh either we destroy the world or returns go down or we don't use money anymore and we all live in star trek where we just tell the replicator what we want uh or great tea hot for those star trek fans <laughs> um uh i think that's right yeah uh, so i right. tell me if it's John not luke um you know, I mean, given given the the given the very real possibility that that there is that as say, bifurcation that that one way or the other outcome, mm-hmm. how do we invest confidently, and how do we act ethically, knowing those are the circumstances that humanity is going to face?
0: Yeah, it's it's really tricky, and it, it it's not it's not for me to say. I think it's for everyone to sort of figure out themselves. Um, mm. I would I would say that terms like capitalism are very unhelpful because mm. they're very broad terms and they they mean different things to, to different people yes, yes. you know I, I would take capitalism just to mean just natural market forces markets are the most natural thing in the world you know you, you put a bunch of chimps together and give half of them bananas and uh, you know they, they'll they will they will form a way to interact. I'll t-
1: you know. they'll, they'll, they'll put it on the blockchain and start trading digital <laughs> bananas instead. It's very
0: natural for, I mean, the, the whole secret, one of the, one of the most fundamental significant inventions beyond fire and the wheel was was money, frankly. And yeah. what money yeah. does yeah. is it's a technology, it's a total human invention, but it scales society. It allows me to interact with people I don't know and have never met before because yeah. I don't have to trust you, I just have to trust the medium of exchange. Mm. And so it's a phenomenally powerful kind of thing. And and then, and then markets will naturally form around that. And then you can sort of say, well, there are some instances, in fact, some pretty good instances where there is sort of a higher level necessary oversight that's required there. And so we have over the years sort of layered up all kinds of institutions and solutions or semi-solutions to these kinds of problems. And uh, uh, they don't tend to sort of evolve in an even linear fashion. It tends to sort of just stagnate for ages. And then we have these huge lumps, whether it's the scientific revolution and enlightenment or you know someone pinning a, a list of thoughts to a church door. It just these things move very rapidly and very quickly. So I, I feel I don't know what I'm this is very <laughs> you've drawn me into a very philosophical kind of area no, here.
1: Yeah well no I'm not me I'm blaming John but but I yes, you know. I I I think that it
0: is it is pessimistic and defeatist to assume mm. that the way that we conduct ourselves is the only way. And that it will only work when we're all consuming real-world um, uh, resources beyond what is sustainable. I don't. I don't believe that that is true. Um, the old the, the meme, which you've drawn me into, and I said everything leads back to it. But the the oh, old God, meme in Bitcoin go. is fix the money, fix the world, and I, I think there's actually a great deal of truth to that, whether it's Bitcoin or not ever. But I think I think when you have a well-functioning yeah. Um, monetary uh, fiscal system, and you've got some very good institutions layered where they need to be. But you will find that that there is that, that a lot of a lot of really great things can emerge from that. And mm. I think when you look at the real disasters in our society, it's mm. through things like crony capitalism, corruption, um, and these kinds of things. So it's not it's not the system necessarily that's failed, but the implementation of of the system and. Yeah. And I'm an optimist that we can we can we can find a better way.
1: I like it. Um. It's deep, man. It's, oh, deep, it's deep stuff. It, is deep. it is really,
0: deep. It's, so look, it, you start thinking about it, and I mean, I, yeah. I always think about this stuff, and I, I don't have any easy answers.
1: I'm gonna start, John, with my thoughts about the current system, which Andrew talked about. I've been accused on Twitter of being everything from a Labour stooge to a liberal stooge to a communist to a you know, scumbag capitalist and everything in between. Andrew, your points about labels are absolutely spot on. I said, Look, I'm I'm a proud capitalist. So no you're not, no you're not. Capitalist is someone who just owns all the capital and, and, and screws the workers. Like, no no no, I'm not that. Mm. No, you're a democratic socialist because you know, socialism. it's like, well okay. And, and and it's it's not very useful because it requires the it, it, it works on the semantics of, of definitionalism yeah. which is not you know it's not very useful for anybody i am so so <laughs> let, let's be honest too john we all default to our own preconceptions right andrew and i want to believe that this system will will find a solution frankly because we're neck deep in it right if we're wrong and our shares are worth nothing then we have wasted a lot of time and money and deferred consumption when we should have been out just absolutely peeing it up against the wall because it was going to go to zero eventually, right? <laughs> so there, there is, there, you can't, you have, I can't answer this one without my own prejudices. Second, I think, I, so Andrew's talking about markets. I, Winston Churchill said, democracy was the worst system ever tried except for every other one that had been tried before it, right? The idea of democracy sucks, but it just happens to be, it just sucks less than everything else. And I think, I've, I've, I, don't, I think I have um, bastardized his phrase and I've said that I, that's my view of democratic capitalism as well. I call it democratic capitalism, not just capitalism. Again, definitions don't matter overly, but I try and make the point that it, it, it's more than just pure free market capitalism. I believe in well-regulated markets and I think democratic capitalism is the, wor- is, is the worst system except for every other system. Right? Just We know the others don't work. They just don't. And the reason is because, to Andrew's point, they harness human endeavor and they harness our natural inclinations as humans mm. to Good be better, decisions. do better, have more, all those things, right? And I think, and there are, plenty, there are people, there's, there's a degrowth um, movement going on right now. And I, they're, same as modern monetary theory. They're, they're, both, they're really, really well-intentioned systems promoted by people who wish the world was different. And I get it. But for those things to work, you have to change the culture of at least 51% of the world's population and probably more because there'll be fights at some point. When you say to the capitalists, you can't have your money anymore, that's a problem. When you say to people, well, you can't have your debt anymore, that's a problem. Uh, and when I say your money, I don't mean cash versus Bitcoin. I just mean wealth in whatever store you call it. Yeah. Widgets for all we care. Right? Your money's Fast a you broad old. term. Yeah, Right. And so and so that, that's, this is a long answer. And my apologies, but it's a really, really good question, John. So so I, I am firmly of the belief that embracing human endeavor um, is the best way to get the best results but when i say embracing i mean it in the context of harnessing and directing it appropriately andrew talked about externalities before i, I am firmly of the view that emissions trading schemes are a terrible idea water trading schemes are terrible ideas a trading scheme is just not artificial market credit to make investment banks rich but if you price those externalities appropriately and accurately then you do absolutely change what we do, and you allow the market mechanism, the the motivators of the market mechanism. And this, by the way, goes to tax and welfare spending, which is a whole different topic, but it's all the same thing. Um, as Andrew said, you know, it's not the system that's broken; it's implementation of it. Now, those things are hard to differentiate because at what point, in the, what point is the system? What point that, yeah. is the implementation? Right? Yeah. Like, but but I think if you if you take the natural human inclinations and you direct them appropriately, and you incentivize them or penalize them appropriately, you get to a better place. If we had always had an appropriate price not not an emissions savings around that rubbish carbon trading scheme appropriate price on coal or petrol or diesel um or gas then we would have found better solutions years and years ago and we will continue to find better solutions if we have higher prices on waste or single use items then we will find better solutions and so i am not as confident as Andrew, that we will find our way through this because there is plenty of incentives for people to say, screw my kids and my grandkids, I want money now and I don't care what I have to do to do it. And we know the usual suspects in the business and political landscape who would have us go down those paths. And I'm not 100 million percent sure they won't win, right? Because people are people. And frankly, to assume this idea that somehow the arc of history must, must deliver us to some sort of utopia eventually, I think is a a lovely idea i think it's a little bit dangerous because maybe it makes us a little bit complacent um, politically but i think that's you know that there is a there is a we all want to believe that's true right because it helps us sleep at night so i and last thing to andrew's point is that holiday of the manufactured goods i think that's absolutely right as well you know, think about the value that we consume these days we pay for netflix which is a streamed entertainment you don't have to have a, a different seat in the cinema you don't have to use petrol to get there um, yes there's a bit of electricity but imagine a scenario where the film is made once um you know we we get transported to our house through hopefully renewable energy what's the energy on the same chair i was sitting on already etc 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 um yeah, that's an easy example think about software think about podcasts think about whatever the things that we consume these days are increasingly not manufactured goods whether they are services or whether they are you know electronic goods um facebook twitter uh microsoft office um podcast that andrew mentioned you know choose your choose your poison Uh, increasingly that's the case and if we if we appropriately priced those externalities you would see a, a very very quick change in behavior and it would make meaningful amounts of difference so i'm not sure mate that we are okay i'm not sure this ends well um i'm optimistic that it will i think we are all obliged to hope it ends well um uh, I think we need to be, frankly, politically more active in whatever political version of the world that suits you. I'm not saying for a particular party or a particular movement. Just be interested, be engaged, make a difference, do all that kind of good stuff. Um, I think that's important. But I don't think it's inevitable that we have to destroy the planet by over-consuming manufactured goods. And I think the 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 answer. And by the way, that's, that doesn't mean capitalism has to finish for that to be to happen. I don't think I don't think degrowth is is, is a good idea i think it won't it's i think it's unworkable Mm. i think i think trying to make people consume less just because you have you tell them they have to consume less um i think is 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 madness it won't work um and, and it'll take 50 years to try and convince people by which time we've destroyed the planet harness people's inclinations harness the desires we have to do better for ourselves but do it in such a way that it encourages responsible consumption of earth's resources and I, I don't think, to Andrew's point, we're not as much as we kind of come from different places. We're not too far away from that. Mm-hmm. We need some smart, capable, you know, uh, visionary people of, of guts and, frankly, you know, good salesmanship to to tell people what the future might look like. But I think it's, iner- it's inherently achievable. Uh, we just have to have the political will and the communal community will to make sure we get there.
0: Yeah, I, I would just add too. I think you've, you've got to be. You've got. You, you've made the point of being engaged. Um, hmm. That, when we talk about the system we're in the system we're in is a, a democratic one thank goodness like where we <laughs> are the fortune <laughs> yes, that we exactly. we actually have that luxury most uh-huh. people in the uh-huh. world don't but but I think that's important But it, but it, it actually that's that's it's not just that because there's no point you can be the most engaged person in the world if you're incredibly misinformed you know, that's where we lead to certain um, phenomena. I don't want to mention any particular names who may have just nominated for 2024. Um, but but you, you can get to pretty dark places there. So you've got to be engaged, <laughs> yeah. but you've also got uh, to yes, ma- make I'm yourself sure. informed. And I, I heard this yep. great quote the other day. Uh, Neil Ferguson said it, the historian, um, mm. monetary theorist. You uh, would have seen the Ascent of Money documentary a little while. He's yep. a really prolific thinker. I don't think it's his quote, but he said it, which was: um, "A study of history allows us to make better mistakes," which I, <laughs> which I just loved because no. what he's saying is, is that we're all we're never going to know the perfect mm. solution to things, yeah. but by by knowing and understanding what's happened before <laughs> and what went wrong, yeah. we will still err, but but hopefully we'll err in in mm. less mm. damaging and more productive <laughs> ways and i just loved it i loved it because oh, you know i don't so i don't true. think we, we 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 will never reach utopia but but no. i i think we can we can sort of stumble our way to slightly <laughs> i mean look i just i often I, again we our perspective mm. is we 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 <laughs> it is absolutely brain exploding stuff when i think that me as an average middle class person in australia Lives a life that was 10x yeah. more luxurious than the than the richest person in, in 1652. You know, right. I, I have <laughs> my lifespan, my quality of life, the range of foods I get to eat, the entertainment that I have. I mean, it just and you know what that that is that is largely a function, if not almost entirely a function, of markets and you know quote unquote capitalism, the 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 uh, a, a proper alignment of incentives and interactions and money and to to, to in- encourage people to invent and benefit from these kinds of things, property rights, all of these great, brilliant inventions that we've just sort of had over the years has led to this godlike existence that our ancestors couldn't believe. And you don't have to go back to 1652. I mean, go back to 1922, right? Like, you know, it's just, it, it, it really is amazing what our system has delivered. We just have to continue. We just can't get complacent. I think we've always got to strive for something better. Man, this is a deep question. John, that's, that's, you're barred from asking more questions.
1: Uh, <laughs> putting it out there. Let's, let, let's get back to ETFs and, and shares, shall we? Well, let's do that, actually. Uh, so, yeah, John, great question. Thank you. Man. I hope I hope listened and enjoyed that because it's a, it's a really interesting kind of thought, uh, thought uh, experiment to go through.
0: Motley Full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at full.com.au forward slash listener.
1: Mate, um, this is a very, very specific question. I'd really like it from Philip, who just says, Hi, gents. Question What for is the, podcast? the meaning of life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How many digits are there in pie? Um, question for the podcast. I'd like to get your thoughts on Brambles. Its major investment is in Chep Pallets. Since COVID, there are many businesses in Australia and overseas holding more raw materials and finished goods due to supply issues. In turn, Chep are leasing their assets at full capacity or close to it. The revenue has jumped significantly, and this has fallen to the bottom line. Dividends have increased consistently over the past 10 years and I don't expect the business to decline in the next five plus years. Am I onto a winner? What am I missing? How does that bring it back to uh, from, from, from the big picture questions or a very, yeah. very specific question about, about Brambles? Yeah.
0: Um, so I haven't looked at Brambles for a long time, mm. but I will say that it has a very long history. Um, it mm-hmm. seems to have created pretty good wealth for its investors. I'm just very quickly scanning the last decade of per share earnings growth uh which is sort of you know the sort of ups and downs with covid and whatnot as you'd expect but generally bottom left to top right uh the business itself delivering returns on equity of above 20 percent managing to sustain as as the listener rightly points out some pretty decent dividends Um, so it's and it's a kind of business that you know Unless until we're all living entirely in the metaverse is is unlikely to be completely disrupted because we all want stuff sort of shipped around, and there are huge scale advantages uh, here, so I, I like it, but I think one of the things you have to recognize with a business like this is that um I agree, I think it's very likely to be around in ten years plus. I think it's probably very likely to continue through good years and bad, you know like as as was pointed out, maybe this will be a particularly good year. I don't know I haven't looked. But they'll have years where it's not so good. But overall, it's probably going to move forward. And what do I get for that? I get I get about a three percent yield. It's about thirty odd percent franked. It's really a question for me of saying, yes, it's a good business. Is it a good price? And that's a much that's that's a much more difficult question. I would be in my uh, look I'm, again. I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, but in unless I've got other reason to expect otherwise, a company of this scale, $15 billion behemoth, uh, it's very mature and it's just not, it's not going to be the tech stock that grows at 20% per year. That's not a bad (laughs) thing. It's not a bad thing, but you know, it's basically at a PE of 18 at this point in time. So the question is, is that, is that a sensible price? Now, look, let me just jump to some forecasts here. Take these with a grain of salt because they're always wrong. But they're at 60%, $0.60 cents per share earnings in 2022, uh, 2023 expected to be 10% higher, and then sort of slowing off a little bit beyond that. And if you were to say that that's more or less what it's going to be, uh, you could probably say that this is a reasonable price. Mm. And garbage in, garbage out. It's only as good as the assumption <laughs> I make, but-, but but you know, yeah. so in other words, a three percent partly frank yield, few few little advantages there. They might sort of get mid to upper single digit growth over the next cycle, economic cycle, and that's probably going to combine to something. I'm going to put it out there is somewhere between eight and twelve percent per annum. Uh, is that okay for you? That's a personal question. And and I and by the way, if it is, I'd say yes. I, I couldn't fault that. It's that's a very adequate return. Um, then yeah, <laughs> yep. I don't. I don't hold any personally, um, and that's. And, and I've got to clarify that too, because people often think, "Oh, that must mean you you hate it." It's like, no, we've we've made that comment before. That, well, for me at least, I think I'm. I feel very well diversified with the majority of my my money in ten separate assets. And so the question is, and isn't a good or bad company? Is it the one of the top ten? As 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 I see it, relative to my situation and risk tolerance,
1: <laughs> is not enough sandbags there for you, mate? I think that's. Um yeah, that's all. Right. Really nice summary. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna add a little bit to it, but not much. So Andrew's point. So I think the yeah, you know, it's it's very it's very. So you start at the right place, Philip. You start at the right place by saying, is this a, is this a good business? You know, do, do I like the business? Do I understand the business? So I think it's got a good future. I think you've done exactly the right thing. Um, the question to Andrew's point exactly is is just simply how much do you pay for it? And the same that's the true of any single investment you consider, no matter how good or bad the business, no matter how spectacularly great the business. How much do you pay for it? Is the is the is the key question for an investor, right? That's the difference between being a business analyst and an investor. Um, If you're writing a book on business, you can highlight brambles all you want and say, this is going to be a great business, going to be around for five years' time. Great, great, great. Yep, all agreed, agreed, agreed. A couple of things. So I'm going to look at the historical financials for a second. Their earnings have doubled, sorry, gone up 50% in 10 years. Now, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, no, nine years. Um, Now, that's not a particularly flash annual return, Okay. That's probably, was it 4%, Andrew, give or take, mm-hmm. um, compounded over, like over nine years, um, might be five. Um, that's okay. It's perfectly fine, but it's pretty ordinary. And frankly, if we take out the 2022 year, the year before that, over the eight years, it's gone up 25% in eight years. Now, again, ask yourself, what does that suggest? That suggests to me, this is a very, very, very mature business uh, with not much structural growth potential and so that's the taking taking the, the supply chain bits out of it. That is what we're facing right now. A business that grew twenty five percent over eight years. What's that? Two and a half, two point seven, two point eight percent annual annual compound growth. That's pretty ordinary. Not terrible, because terrible is decline or nothing. But and again, not not the Brambles of average even being badly run. When you when you own the market, effectively they do or most of it. You're only going to get so much growth. There's not so much growth that's left to you. And so that's a that's a perfectly fine result for a business that is in, its, in that sort of position in the industry. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing for me, business-wise, uh, and Philip, you make the point you expect it to continue to five plus years. I would respectfully suggest I think that's not my view. It does not say you're wrong, because I might be wrong. Uh, I think it's I think it's, it's not my view. The reason is because I think eventually, ironically, things go back to some sort of normal. Businesses will want to become more efficient eventually. We talked about the economic hit on Friday. The economic average economic memory is about five years, maybe seven. So go out X number of years when companies say, we've got a lot of stock there. Uh, that's lazy capital. We could liquidate some of that stock, reduce some of the stock holdings. We've got excess stock or just something more than we need. We, we normally carried 10 weeks of stock. We've now got 20 weeks of stock because we worry about supply chains. The last 18 months, it's been fine. I think we're over. Great, we can run that down now, guys. Maybe at three time Brown will end up with more pallets they can do, the news, because all of a sudden it doesn't need those pallets anymore. No one wants them. They're sending them back and not paying the rent. And so again, am I right? Maybe not. Is there a chance I'm right? Yeah, absolutely. Is it probable? Well, that's your call. But if that is true, maybe this level of earnings isn't sustainable, let alone growth from this level of earnings. And so maybe in three years' time, the earnings are as low or lower than they are today. Maybe, or maybe not. Um, so uh, again, is it a good business? Yes. Is the growth, is the level of profitability guaranteed? No. Is it likely to grow? Maybe, maybe not. Is that guaranteed? No. And then you're paying 18 times for that. I'm saying, well, wow, that's really expensive for me. I would pay... 14, 15 times earnings, maybe max for a a flat business, if I thought it was going to be flat. Now, if you think I'm wrong, if you think the growth is going to continue, and in other words, not just the current level of profitability, but more of that, in other words, more companies taking on even more stock and carrying that high level of stock for longer periods of time, because that's what they need for sales and earnings to grow, a a short of um, pricing power, of course, um, then that's the challenge that you find yourself in. So I like the base business of Brambles. I think the operations themselves are fine. Brambles isn't going anywhere as a business anytime soon but I don't feel great about owning it at the current price. And I don't feel like the current level of profitability is necessarily guaranteed. So I wouldn't be buying it. It seems it seems like, um, you know, pure, uh, what's the word?
0: Wishful thinking at this point, but you know, I'd, I'd be a very curious buyer if we were talking about a five or 6% yield. And that kind of like, <laughs> you know, get real like that just doesn't happen in these (laughs) days actually those kinds of yields were actually very normal not that long ago um in a a different different world but but um uh, that's not for me to know if and when that will happen but i i can't predict but but i can act on what i know right now and so it's just a matter of saying for me you've used the pe i've mentioned that as well but for me, I think dividends become a and the yield become a really easy and yet effective valuation tool for mature businesses Quite. that are able to Quite. pay out a great deal of their cash flow. And Brambles pays out about half of its net profit every year as dividends because, just frankly, what else is it going to do? There's not a lot of yeah. growth initiatives yeah. at that, 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 which is great, which means That's that right. I actually start to value this on not just business cash flows but cash flows to me as an investor and. And yeah, uh I might not ever get the chance, but if it would I'd be much inter- I'd be very interested. Let's let's stop talking about the future though. And I'm sorry mm-hmm. to labor the point here, but it's just such a wonderful example of of how many things can be true at once and and everyone in fact agreeing on those facts and yet having a different interpretation. Let's go to 2016. We travel back in time and mm-hmm. I get out of my DeLorean, my favorite form of time travel machine, and I say um Actually, the per share earnings in 2016, the end of this financial year would be $0.53 per share. In the year 2022, uh, it's going to be $0.61 a share. In other words, you're going to get about 15% growth uh, there. It's like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, Now, your dividends will go down a little bit, but they'll they'll pay a dividend every year and it'll be more or less the same. Um, What do you think the shares will do over that period? Well, actually, between 2016 and 2022, shares are exactly flat, exactly flat. So what's the disconnect there? Well, earnings have gone up 15%, share price has gone nowhere. And so what I can also see, we're looking at my little screen here, is that the average annual price-earnings ratio in 2016 was 22 times, and there were 18. So you've had PE compression. And this right. is something that is, is a phenomena in a rising interest rate environment. So you've got to start sort of thinking about these things as well. But if if we do ever get more of a normalization of interest rates... And you have these slow-growing companies that, although it might have seemed perfectly normal for a company growing at 3% to trade at a P of 25 in, in the year 2019, uh, that's, a, that's a hard thing to bank on uh, over longer periods of time. And so what you might actually find is that actually if we go out another, what is it, eight years, in 2030, maybe earnings are another 15 or 20% higher. But if the PE has gone from 17, 18 now back to 14, 15, which again, historically is on a, on a bigger arc of time, it's actually quite normal for a business of, of that kind of growth. You'll actually find that you your return will be pr- you'll probably be positive because of the dividends and the franking credits, but not much better than a term deposit. So anyway, f-
1: food for thought. Hopefully, Hopefully all of that helps. I hope so. And I think hopefully it's also given our other listeners who maybe I not talking about Brambles in particular or think about Brambles in particular, just a, a sense of ways to think about um, how they might consider, particularly those lower growth businesses where, frankly, you've also got to be more accurate on your valuation because mm. you're not going to get the, the sheer growth that you might want to need to, to justify any valuation mistakes. Yep. Mate, let's go to one from James who gives us a three-choice question. Ooh, multiple choice. He is High Scott and Andrew. Like I'll it. get the flattery out of the way up front. You did a great job answering my last question on the pod a couple of months ago, and I felt compelled to answer your recent call to action to fill the mailbox. And with that, my question. Without giving you any personal specifics, I've been thinking about your recent conversation to doing as one's best not to interrupt the magic of compounding through both one's working life and after retirement. While I can understand how this thinking may apply to those with direct shareholdings, the golden goose of small companies that grow into large dividend payers, he says. I'm wondering about the optimal, read, best guess, way to think about this from a hands-off ETF perspective. If we were generally talking about an Australian with 20-plus years of investing in front of them before retirement, there are three options that come to mind. So here's James' three options, mate. You've got to choose one. Mm-hmm. Option A, dollar-cost average into a well-diversified low-cost ETF in a market more probabilistically conditioned than Australia to favour growth, e.g., the Vanguard US Total Market ETF. Mm -hmm. This will potentially create a larger portfolio at the time of retirement. Once in retirement, they can remain invested so compounding can continue and then sell units in the ETF as needed for lifestyle purposes. Mm -hmm. That's option one. Mm -hmm. Option two. I like that option. Same as option option one, but once the person retires, sell units in the hopefully growthy ETF and use after-tax proceeds to buy a low-cost, well-diversified Australian-based ETF, e.g. the ASX 200. Remain invested. However, expect greater flow of tax-beneficial dividends, in brackets, franking credits, than from the growth of the ETF, and therefore, less need to sell units to fund lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Obviously, here is two capital gains tax events. Mm. One on selling the ETF's units to buy the second, and then we're selling any of the second ETF units. That's true, although I will say two tax events, will, the two will simply add up to the same value as the first tax event. So don't worry about the number of them, James, just quickly as we go through this one. Um, if you make a, a $10 profit, another $10 profit, same as making a single $20 profit. So just, just be a little bit careful there of double double assuming. Option C, is same as option A, but instead just invest in an Australian-based ETF from day one. This likely results in a smaller portfolio than with a US or global ETF, but it provides the benefits of tax beneficial dividends the whole way through potentially reinvesting under a DRP along the way, then continuing to remain invested into retirement. Biggest problem with this strategy, I foresee, is through government continuing to tinker with tax laws such that frank credits are unlimited. Uh, FYI, Jeff Wilson is mounting a furious campaign about the recent budget announcements. You think the pod could benefit from someone else's rant. Is this all just trimming around the edges, and I'm overthinking it, likely in brackets, he says, or might there be a clear benefit of one of the options over the others? Thanks in advance and full on, James. Really great question, Ram. I I, mm-hmm. I I, mean, he's right that... I mean, the other thing, I guess, James, is there's more than one Australian ETF to go with. Um, so there's other ways of skidding the same cap. But, but he asks a, a very good question, mate. Of those three, do any of them strike you as either not worth considering or most worth considering are there any clear winners or clear losers or are they all as as james says kind of ticking around the edges and all likely to give us much of a muchness i, I
0: think i think there's a degree of tinkering james although you're you're, you're tinkering in a very sensible area so it's kind mm. of like it's going to be hard to sort of <laughs> criticize any of those i do mm. lean more towards options a and c only okay. because of the tax event that that you um you rightly mention um mm. The other factor at play here, I mean, you have to, implicit in this choice is a view on which economy and market is going to be the better performer. And that's a tough one. You know, if the choice was between, I've got to be careful not to, um, be critical of any particular country so i'll make mm-hmm. up a country some some perhaps country <laughs> that doesn't have a good rule of law uh, uh, right. uh page and um <laughs> it's got a corrupt leader and you know it's very easy Definitely it's like, i, I want to yeah. go for the, the the legal protections and market protections that the countries like australia and, and the u.s are very fortunate to, to enjoy but they are they are they are both. I think um I- incredible jurisdictions to invest in um mm. but but you might have a different view and um <sighs> So they're 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 much harder. Um, th- but another yeah. another part of it too depends on the, the the quantum of money that we're dealing with here. If if you're mm. talking of, just to be stupid here, if you're talking about a hundred million oh dollars, yeah. you know, what's the difference really? You know, <laughs> I just
1: sell it as I go. That's that's probably fine. You, know, you don't have a, a private yacht to fuel and obviously, <laughs> of course, it matters.
0: I don't know how much money I've got. I, the,
1: I don't think I ever. I'm gonna restock the Dom Perignon fridge, mate. Think, uh, you know, of course it matters. No, I, know no, no, I know what you mean. I know
0: you uh, but but so I, I think I think yeah, I think A or C and you know what? I would probably put D in there and probably go half US, half Australia, mm. just keep it in there, compound the hell out of it. If I'm diligent enough in the amount I'm contributing and I've got a long enough mm. runway, it's probably gonna be a pretty sizable sum of money in 20, 30 years, whatever let's let's go with that. And I can probably just afford to sell down as in when I need that cash.
1: Yeah, I'm going to probably take option D as well, Andrew, because that was kind of where I was leading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a really good question, James, and I've, I've kind of inferred this before. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the same. You know, Andrew and I hopefully are years away from retirement, although, um, you know, it'd be nice to have the choice at some point to say, well, I want to work a bit less or I've got enough money. I've got my $100 million. I can afford my private yacht and it's all good. But uh <laughs> The, uh, the, the reality is somewhere in between of, of just, you know, the decisions you make now on structure actually will matter in 25 years' time. And we'll look back at that point and go, oh, man, I wish I'd done X, Y, or Z, right? And you can't know because you don't know what life circumstances are going to be. And as you say, you don't know what the, the, the legislative uh, responses are going to be. I'm going to give a couple of quick thoughts uh, on the different markets and come back. I think it's likely, as you say, the U.S. is likely to have more capital gains than Australia. I think Australia is likely to have more dividends than the U.S., what I will say, though, is if you buy, for example, an S&P 500 or an all-market ETF, uh, and it grows faster, then a 2% yield on a faster-growing capital base might give you as much income as 4% on a slow-growing capital base. So it's not just a matter of, you know, if you look at Apple it's a great example, right? And no you're about stocks, but just give you a stock-specific example. Maybe even Berkshire. Berkshire will probably pay a dividend at some point in my lifetime, I would assume. And it might even get to a reasonable level once Warren's gone and they can't find enough places for the cash. Apple went from this loss-making, hopeful tech business to this iPad, iPod thing that churned up cash to all of a sudden, it's paying out a massive dividend and buying back shares. Now, over time, uh, Domino's is a great example in Australia. The growth of Domino's dividends over the last 15 years has been phenomenal, phenomenal. Even though it started with a really low percentage yield of the starting point. So in 40 years' time, I'm far from sure that the cash generation, if I put $100 in both a, a, an ASX ETF and a US ETF and waited for 20 years, the the, the yearly dividend in dollars might be that dissimilar. Even though the running yield in the US would be lower, if the capital growth has been higher and the share prices grow faster, then again, 2% on a $20 share price or 4% on a $10 share price, well, you know, i sorry, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you kind of end up roughly the same place. And so I, I wouldn't assume that, Particularly for the ETF, which is going to have an income component, I wouldn't assume necessarily uh, that it that it precludes some. I'm not saying there will be the same cash flows, by the way, but don't assume they're going to be massively different because of the the growth and, and the running yield at that point in time. So, that's kind of that's kind of some thoughts across the board. I I would prefer to because of the franked. Um, at least for now, because of the frank nature of Australian dividends and the fact, of, or some dividends, I should say, and you don't have to sell and therefore incur capital gains to get the money out. I have a preference in my own portfolio to start to continue to move towards more Australian dollar dividend paying companies in retirement if I don't have to sell my capital to get there. I just think, I think it's a more effective after-tax return probably. And if it's not, then I'll still have a really great... After tax return. So it's one of those, you know, uh, heads I win, tails I don't lose much kind of outcomes in, to, to my way of thinking. Because if I make, you know, I double money in shares, I sell out, I've got to pay capital gains, tax at my, my rate, then I've got to either reinvest that in the ETF, as you said, or, or start to spend some of the proceeds uh, versus not selling at all, therefore getting full value on my 100 bucks invested or whatever it is. And getting dividends maybe it's two, three, four, five percent, and credits on top of that. Um, I reckon that's going to be the the lower I won't say lower risk, but maybe maybe the uh, lower regrets. You know, talk about regret minimization, whose framework is that, mate. I think is it jobs or Bezos? One of them has this thing called the regret minimization framework. Just make decisions based on what you're least likely to regret. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to regret having mostly or fully franked or largely franked ASX-based dividends. Rolling into my bank account when I'm retired without having to sell and therefore incur capital gains on the sale, hopefully. So, but to Andrew's point, I'm also going to choose option D. I can't imagine ever not having a, a sizable proportion of my portfolio, probably a, a, a minority position, maybe, you know, maybe a quarter inch or something um, of my money in, in the US because I, I like the growth opportunity there. I like the diversification, all that sort of stuff that comes with it. And some of them will pay dividends at some point anyway. Uh, so I'd go option D and I think I'll probably end up. Maybe seventy-five percent ASX, twenty-five percent US, something like that. Depending on how the individual shares and, and and markets go. Yep. Any more on that, Ram? No. Well answered. Oh, that was hard work. Uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> we've we've only got a few minutes left, mate. So let's uh, go to just a, a very quick question from uh, Daniel, who just says, uh, um, "Actually, it's from anonymous. Please, Dad. Um, I am a long-term listener, and there is rarely an episode that doesn't leave me with more food for thought." I would like to know the process you go through to determine when it might be time to invest further directly into the US given the current level of the Australian dollar. My view is that US tech shares are closer to the bottom of this downturn than the top and this might be a prudent time to start buying into that sector of the market. However, I'm not sure how to calculate the currency risk I would welcome your thoughts on this. Thanks. I look forward to more food for thought, and that's from Daniel, who I should have said it was anonymous, but at least Daniel didn't use your surname Smith. Oops, <laughs> oh, Daniel Smith. Um, I'm, I'm sure Daniel, that will be okay. There's more than one Daniel out there, so I'm sorry if you feel uh, I had to keep asking the question once I mentioned your no, name. My apologies. Um, all right, uh, it's a really we've, we've mentioned currency before, and we mentioned the U.S. Investing Board. What Daniel asked specifically here is the process you use to determine when yeah um do you have any particular do. thoughts on that
0: yeah i've got a really really easy process um when i've got money <laughs> so yeah Thank you. It, yeah so so uh, all all my um non-super annuation is just directed uh, to us the asx because that's just the pond i like to fish in i feel as <laughs> i've got a bit of a home field advantage there yeah. Um, but when it comes to my super, I've got um, some ETFs, which is just easy, low cost yeah, access right. to to the US market. So whenever I have um, money to dedicate to super, is when I buy. Because look, I'm I'm which, not a which, spring. Which chick- index
1: though, mate? We're talking about we're talking about who's talking about when the in US specifically, not stocks in general. Yeah,
0: so are talking
1: about the currency risk of investing in the US. How do you how do you I work would still, out?
0: I would still apply it that way. In, I mean, okay. you're if you're if you're trying if your investment thesis is based on some kind of timing that the US market is offering outsized advantages to the local market or something like that well then then you've got to you've got to play the hand you know based based on that viewpoint but i would say more generally daniel is just don't overthink it the the, the best time i mean it gets different closer to retirement i'm going to assume that that's not you so the answer is when you've got money buy it you'll be buying it now at 67 cents on the fx rate and then next year it'll be different, and the year after that it'll be different, and just and it's just not going to matter because even if the Aussie dollar really moves against you, it's not likely to outweigh the significance of compounding over a, a, a you know decade or multi-decade kind of yeah. period. I would say, and you can't you can't predict it anyway. So it's just just unfortunately, if you want exposure to that market, and 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 frankly, who wouldn't? Um, you got to roll with those kind of punches. It just turns out that those punches, while they can feel, I mean, what the Aussie dollar's down fifteen percent this year, it feels significant. Um, but I, I don't, I, I don't know if that's going to be a, a major determinant over a, a longer period of time. So you got money, make the investment. You'll know in, you'll know in a few years whether it was a great timing or not. But it doesn't matter because you'll just be every time you get a little bit of extra. Uh, Coins in your pocket, you'll, you'll, you'll be trickling it in, and, and, and you've got the magic of compounding working for you, but you've also got the magic of dollar, dollar cost averaging. There's 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 two no brain. there's very there's very few free kicks in this game, but mm-hmm. you know, things things like um just time in the market, things like diversification, modest diversification, I should clarify, and dollar cost averaging are all just like just no-brainers that you just gotta do. And you, you, you just get that part right. You, you, it, it's very it's very hard to go too wrong
1: i would argue yeah i, I agree um so i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, straddle both sides of the road in this one um i i've talked about investing for my own boat before lots of times um we have set up an auto invest f- function which just invests in two uh, uh, etfs one australian and one global and every every month just, the just same amount of money goes into both so do you put a dollar cost averaging around just like which it is mm. and sometimes it'll be a low exchange rate sometimes a high exchange rate and could i possibly do it better if i try to be involved probably yeah and maybe even i should frankly but that's what i do currently um when it comes to my own investing i've said before uh i i think if you think about a a bell curve shape so my, my answer is a little bit different to yours, Ram. If you think about a bell curve shape, uh, Daniel, I know I'm sorry say anonymous, but I've already given you a name, so I might as well stick with it. Um, most of the middle of that bell curve is much of a muchness, right? It's not, it's not that that far, you know, the old standard deviation thing. Most of it's going to be close enough to be good enough. At the extreme ends, it's going to be relatively obvious, I think, that um, that you are, the odds are meaningfully against you because it's not just a matter of do I invest in the US or not, but is there a better option investing in company X in the US or company Y in Australia? Knowing one, you're going to have to give up currency gains to do it. So, you know, for me, uh, the long term average of the Australian dollar has been about 80 to 85 cents, depending on which time frame you use. But since float, I believe it's probably low 80s now, I guess, because it's been low for a while. Um, so at 62 cents, I'm like, you know, that's just, that's just, that's a long way away. That, that's, that's at a more extreme end of the bell curve. And if I look at that, I'm just thinking, you know what? No, I, I, I don't think, I, I think, you know, if I, have, if I, have a, if I had a US company I thought was going to give me 20% returns a year and the best way I can find in Australia was a 5%, then I would do it anyway regardless. I'd do it at 40 cents because the compound re- result of that, as Andrew's already said, is going to be much, much, much better. But if I kind of think, well, these two ideas, I, I want to maybe buy shares in Amazon or Woolworths, I own Amazon shares, uh, and I think, well, the return potential is probably the same on both, then I'm not going to take the currency headwind unnecessarily. I'll just invest in Woolies. So if, you know, I would need to be the the lower the dollar is, the more convinced I would need to be that my US idea was significantly better than the Australian one. The flip side is also true. At a dollar ten, which the dollar was for a while, I was shoveling money across to the US, partly because I liked the ideas of the companies there, partly because the dollar was always going to come back to be something lower than that at some point, in all probability. And so it was just it was money for jam. So that's kind of that's kind of the uh, the approach I take. So the closer the dollar is to the average, the less it worries me. If the dollar's over 70 cents, I probably don't care. I just probably don't care. I don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a different. Have a different view. Under 70 cents, I've actively not sent any Australian dollars to the U.S. in months and months. I've been buying shares here, not there. Why? Because I just I don't think I need the headwind or, or the drag of the currency working against me as it rises over time. Uh, and it's going to be higher over time on average than it is now. So I'm just. It feels like a bad bet. It feels like a, it feels like a really even bet between 70 and 90 cents. I'm like I just don't care enough. It's not a big enough deal. I know that's a big range for currency traders. By the way, but for me I just don't care. Over 90 cents, I would be I wouldn't invest a single dollar in Australia. I'd be I'd be the money overseas to the US. Because I think again, like for like if I have the same conviction in two companies, one ASX, one US, I'm getting a, a free kick with the currency. At least compared to historical standards. So you asked you asked about the thought process Daniel. I hope that's been helpful. That's how I personally think about it. Two ways. For my own bloke, I just—it's an auto invest strategy. It will be for years for him. I'm just going to let it do its thing. For me, if it's roughly average, then I'm going to do roughly whatever I think's best. As Andrew said, when I've got money, um, if it's if it's at the ends of those bell curves, the, the the long tails, I'm far more likely to consider it just because it feels like it, it would be almost to my mind. And again, Andrew's a bit different, so it shows you the difference of views. But it would almost it would be almost um, uh, negligent for me not to at least consider that. And when there were extremes in either direction, to take advantage or at least not be not be smashed by it. But for all I know, the dollar could be forty cents for the next ten years, and I could have, should have sent money over at sixty two and made a fortune. So you know, we, again, we can't know the future either. Mm. Anything else
0: on that? mind? I think what's always helpful, it's illustrative at these kinds of times, is is um, just to use history as a as a guide. There, yes, <laughs> um, yeah. Like, just imagine if you went. I mean. Some of these these NASDAQ and US ETFs haven't been around for that long, but just use the index as a proxy and say, had I bought the S&P 500 15 years ago, how would have I done? And the answer is pretty well. And then ask yourself, what did the dollar do over that time and be, oh actually I'm not sure. And then even when you looked into it, you go, actually it doesn't yeah. seem to matter. It just <laughs> Yeah, that's right You know, it just doesn't. That's right, that's it just right. it becomes right. of all the things that could have, would have, should have it just it just yep. you you realize with that benefit of a bit of distance that not that it wasn't totally unimportant. It just wasn't that important, like really not important at all. So we can't we can't predict the future but I mean that's a pretty useful guide and I suspect in the year 2032 when you're looking back now, uh, I'm sure the Aussie dollar will be different and to what it is on the exchange rate, but I'm almost certain that the US market will probably be higher. Um, and I don't think you'll care about what the what the currency's done. I think that's absolutely
1: right. If you do want to follow us or send us a message on the socials, make sure you do that. If you're on Twitter, hit Andrew up at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. You get me at TMF Scott P. That same handle on Instagram as well. Or The Motley Fool AU on both of those platforms. You can get me on Facebook, Scott Phillips Money. So that's facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money or scott phillips on mastodon i'm still the only person <laughs> talking about osbiz on mastodon so maybe that's uh, an indication no one else is there but if you are there i'm, I'm a bit lonely come, come and join me on mastodon if you if you're already no, there no you're gonna um, work look me up i'm, I'm calling follow it. me on mastodon i'm calling it. uh it's uh, a bit of fun it's scott phillips it's uh, at scott phillips at oz.social i think you might need the full handle i can't remember i don't really know enough about it I just thought i'd get there because people were there uh so that were they were they though <laughs> <laughs> there's there's there's, there's four or five people there. it's, it, <laughs> We're all in a phone box together and it's fun. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're out there, come and say hello. If, you, if, if you're looking for someone in the Osbys uh, area to follow, then at least I'm there. Probably nobody else <laughs> tells you everything you need to know, mate. If I'm the person there, then it's a fair chance the cool kid's out there and it's absolutely going to die, as you suggest. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can do that. Info, I-N-F-O at fool.com.au. Will you come back next Friday, mate? Yeah, mate. You, could, you couldn't stop me. Wild horses couldn't drag you away, could they? They could not. A couple of Bitcoin, though. You can be convinced.
0: I tell you what, when we're doing uh, volume two of that episode, I
1: will clear the calendar, my friend. (laughs) There may be some heavy editing involved. In the (laughs) meantime, and until next Friday, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool
0: and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.